Chapter 10 Finding Light I think we should consider accepting the money that people are offering us, Alberto said. We were walking along the touristy Adriatic coast, enjoying lovely sea views and flat roads. The emotions of Rimini were behind me, and I was once again at peace with myself and with the world. Until now. Oh? I replied evasively. Well, it's obvious that people want to support our walk, he said. Some have been doing it by inviting us for drinks or opening their homes to us. But some, like Nico or that woman in Assisi, want to do so by giving us money. I think it makes them feel good, knowing that they're contributing to our walk and to peace. I'm not comfortable with the idea, Alberto, I said. Besides, I don't think they're contributing to peace, but to people who they think need money. I don't need charity. But money is just another form of help, not charity, Alberto insisted, a slight edge in his tone. Well, to me, it is different, I retorted. I don't need the money. Well, you're just being closed and proud, Alberto shot back. What if more people want to join us? Would you refuse them if they couldn't pay their way? Or were you thinking of paying everyone's way? Well, I think you're just taking advantage of the situation because you have no money, I accused regretting those words as soon as they left my mouth. Alberto tensed. I stormed ahead, almost slipping several times on the icy road, but not daring to stop. An issue that I had hoped was a minor irritation had now become a major point of contention between us, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I grew up in a middle-class family that was financially comfortable, but that had no luxuries. I came into wealth during the boom years of the software industry, and although I was grateful for the money, it wasn't something I was attached to. I enjoyed the material gifts that money offered me, and I generously shared it with family and friends. It gave me the freedom to travel freely and to pursue my personal interests, but I never obsessed about it. I also knew that money gave me power, and in the circle of friends that I kept in those days, had seen that power wielded, and not always for good. I witnessed the arrogance and the entitlement that went with money, and was cognizant of how easy it was to fall into that trap, to lose my humanity, and to think myself superior to those who had less. Even though Alberto and I disagreed on some elements of our walk, I wanted to maintain some balance of power between us, I didn't want to make him feel bad for having less, but I didn't want to feel bad for having more. The universe had thrown us together for a reason, and although I seriously questioned its wisdom, I had to believe it was for the good of both of us. On a quiet stretch of sidewalk, I opened up to Alberto about my feelings. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think you're being fair, Alberto said. When I started this walk, I knew it was going to be difficult for me to get to Jerusalem with the little money that I had, but I didn't want my fears to stop me. I knew the universe was sending me on this journey, and so I left it in its hands to solve my money problems and trusting that I would receive what I needed and when I needed it. I believe this is God's way of helping me through the people contributing to our walk. I want to receive money graciously as a gift that is helping me in this way to peace. I don't want to receive charity either. I promised to try, 
and to be open to each situation and hoped I could follow through when the situation presented itself again. The coastline was deserted. Hotels, restaurants and cafes, all catering to summer tourists, now had their doors closed to us. Even the churches were closed. Much to my distress, we learned that priests in these areas often lived in one town and served several at once. The few people we met were usually tourists and had no idea where any priest lived. We continued northwards, passing Ravenna towards a village that was our destination that day. It was New Year's Eve and I secretly, expectantly, awaited a night as special as the one that we had celebrated with Serafino and his family on Christmas Eve. We waited well into the evening for the priest who we were assured would help us, but he turned us away. With no other shelter in town, we began our slow march towards the next town seven kilometers away. We'll be fine, Alberto assured me. This just means we're meant to be someplace else. But I heard the quiver in his voice. The full moon was triple its normal size and glowed like a nighttime sun, casting the only visible light in the darkness that enshrouded us. We eventually reached a main road where now the headlights of rushing cars lit the way. The negligible shoulder was covered with a thick layer of ice and snow, making a normally difficult walk treacherous. With the bitter cold, our flashlights began to fade, and so we blended into the night, a hazard to ourselves and to motorists. For the first time during our walk, I seriously feared for our safety. Ninety harrowing minutes later, we finally veered off into town. In the distance, a large star ornament shone brightly, its hopeful light beckoning us. It led us to a beautifully decorated church and the priest's house nearby. A large, robust priest with graying hair answered our call and smiled paternally. Hope surged within my heart as I listened to Alberto explaining our needs and watched the priest nod in understanding. This is not a hotel, he responded, the smile never leaving his face. I cannot help you. I stared at the ground and inhaled deeply. Don't cry, don't cry, I repeated to myself. Do not give him that satisfaction. We are pilgrims walking for peace, Alberto continued in a soothing tone. We have been received in monasteries, in churches, in people's homes. We don't need beds. We can sleep on the floor in the hallway. Please. The door began to close. Can you at least tell me where we can find a place to sleep? Alberto persisted. All hostels are closed for the holidays, he replied. I am sorry, he said firmly, shutting the door. Please, Padre. Alberto pleaded, his voice barely above a whisper. We can't walk anymore. It's late, and we are so cold. I couldn't bear to hear Alberto beg and walked away. Tears of anger and hurt and frustration streaming down my face. I dropped on a park bench and wept. Alberto slumped beside me, 
and placed his arm around my shoulder, whispering distracted words of comfort. Only his eyes betrayed the bewilderment and confusion that we both felt. A moped weaved down the road and braked in front of us. Its young driver grinned at us happily. I could smell the liquor on his breath. Do you have a light? He slurred, waving a cigarette. No, I don't have a light, I replied weakly. Alberto pulled out his cigarette lighter and offered it to the man, telling him it was a Christmas gift. The surprised man shyly pushed it away, but then gushed at Alberto with gratitude before finally taking the lighter and driving away. That's the only lighter we have, I said despondently. Don't worry, he replied. It will come back to us in another way. What are you talking about? Well, he asked for a light, so I offered it to him. He explained it was a symbolic act. Besides, when you give from the heart, it comes back double. It's late, I mentally lamented. I'm freezing. We don't have a place to sleep. I'm in no mood for esoterics. We waited for some miracle to happen, for all the forces in the universe to work their magic. But in the end, no one showed up to rescue us. No sign appeared to show the way. No magic. We needed to make a decision. At 10.30 p.m., we began our slow march to the next town, eight kilometers away. The highway was less busy, but without flashlights or reflective clothing, we must have appeared like ghosts to passing motorists. With each car, we stopped walking. We stopped walking and we stood as close to the edge of the shoulder as possible without falling into the ditch that separated the road from the adjacent fields. Having eaten nothing but panettone that morning, I began to feel weak and disoriented. My eyes began to close and more than once I weaved onto the road. Alberto occasionally stopped to ask how I was doing, the worry clearly etched on his face, but I couldn't hide my pain. He suggested looking for a place to camp, but surrounded by open, ice-covered farm fields, it was clear that our pegs wouldn't break through the frozen ground and that our tent would be a flimsy barrier against the howling wind. An hour passed. On the other side of the road, a cluster of buildings set back about 200 meters appeared. Let's go there, I declared. We ran across the road and walked around the dark structures, our feet crunching through the ice. We tried some of the doors, but they were locked. Alongside one building was a long open corridor, so we walked into it. To one side of the corridor was a door opening, but no door leading into a dark space. We hesitantly stepped inside and found ourselves standing on dry, compacted earth in an area measuring no more than 30 by 10 meters, surrounded by tall, dark brick walls. Two of the opposing walls had large window openings set high, but no windows. The wind whistled through them, but it wasn't nearly as cold as it was outside. Look what I found, Alberto called out. Against the wall were several boxes of hay, two oversized towels, a wooden ramp, 
and a small trough for feeding animals. We're in a manger, he exclaimed, balancing the trough in his hands. It looked like a crib. Every hair on my body stood on end, and not only from the cold. I walked around this manger, speechless with wonder and gratitude. I knew there was a deeper symbolism and meaning to this night, but I was too exhausted to contemplate it. Overwhelmed with hunger, we devoured the little cheese and bread that we had and drank the bottle of wine that had been given to us on the road earlier that day. Our water was frozen in our bottles. To make a bed, we pushed the wide ramp against the wall, sprinkled it with hay, and placed the towels on top of it. We rolled out our foam mattresses and sleeping bags, slipped into them, and then covered ourselves with the two plastic sheets of Alberto's tent. Comfortable? Alberto asked with a twinge of laughter. No, I laughed, but eternally grateful. Amen, he whispered. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Weeks later, we would learn that all priests had recently received strict orders from their bishops not to admit anyone into their homes. We never learned why. It made me understand those who had rejected us better and appreciate those who received us even more. These experiences would remind me that refusal to offer lodging did not imply rejection of me or my ideas and that I needed to be more confident in my path and my choices. This would be an ongoing lesson and form an integral part of my inner journey towards peace. We walked the hazardous road the following morning into Alfonsine, our attention fully on avoiding the innumerable trucks that seemed intent on pushing us into the ditch. Near the city limits, I noticed a man about my age standing on the steps of a bar, watching our approach and smiling broadly. Please, come inside, he enthused when we arrived, holding the door open. I saw your signs when I drove by this morning and I hope to meet you. I followed him, trying to control my roller coaster emotions. The slightest act of kindness seemed to trigger my tears. You must be so cold and tired, the man fussed, pulling out a chair for me to sit. Here, let me help you with your bag, he continued kindly, slipping it off my shoulders. Oh, it's, it's pretty heavy, he chuckled. Over the hottest coffee and the most delicious cookies, I relaxed into our conversation with the owner of this bar. He commended us for trying to make the world a better place when many others were not. We shared stories of the many ordinary people who were doing just that and added him to that list. The caring with which we were received that morning almost completely obliterated the events of the previous evening. As we stood to leave, he reached behind the bar and handed each of us a lighter advertising the name of his establishment. A gift for the way so you won't forget me, he said. I stared at the lighter and then held Alberto's knowing gaze, recalling with amazement the drunkard on the moped that night before and the words that now seem prophetic. When you give from the heart, life gives back double. We continued into town where Alberto noted the numerous churches and I, the various open hostels. 
no matter what happened, this night we would have shelter. At the first church we stopped at, two young men jovially greeted us and asked about our signs. With an infectious smile and boundless energy, the one named Nino explained that he was a church volunteer and had the key to the church hall. The calm other was Lucio. They showed us to a classroom and brought in mattresses and blankets, confidently assuring us that the priest would allow us to stay. I did not unpack my bag. Our new friends were easy to speak and laugh with. I marveled at our Italian, a language we were both quickly becoming comfortable with. We spoke openly about our spirituality and all confessed that we believed in angels. Angels appear in many forms, Lucio asserted, not just with wings and flying and flowing white robes. The archangel Raphael, for example, appeared to a pilgrim as an ordinary man. He accompanied him and helped him on his journey, but the pilgrim never knew that he was an angel. I recalled an incident along the Camino where a woman that I had befriended offered to read my tarot cards. What stayed with me was her confident assertion that I would be accompanied on my walk to Jerusalem by an angel. I naturally assumed that she meant from the spiritual realms, but now considered that this angel could also take human form. With your green eyes and light brown hair, you even look like an angel, Lucio said, winking at Alberto, and soon left with Nino to attend to their various matters, but promising to return. I sat with Alberto on the church steps, enjoying the remnants of that late afternoon's warm sunshine. Did I ever tell you that I worked as a claims adjuster in a large insurance firm, Alberto asked. Looking at him now, with his easygoing manner and unassuming presence, it was hard for me to believe that he was, and I told him so. Oh yes, I even wore a suit and tie, he joked. It wasn't my dream, of course, but I did what I thought was expected of me. I wanted to be an artist and even tried to dedicate time to that, but the demands of my job wouldn't allow me. And so I buried my dream in order to be the responsible adult that my family and my wife at the time expected me to be. My family wanted me to be a doctor, I revealed, and were disappointed when I pursued a business career. But unlike you, I had no impossible dreams, only practical ones. Climb the corporate ladder, get married, own a nice house in the suburbs. But now, for the first time in my life, I'm actually pursuing a dream. I think I found my dream the first time that I walked the Camino, Alberto said. I was going through a profound spiritual change. I was reading books that were opening my mind and my heart to new ways of being and living. And like you, I saw that I was a spiritual being with a divine purpose and that I was the creator of my life, not its victim. I became vegetarian, I started practicing yoga like you. My wife and family thought I had joined a cult. I couldn't make them understand that I was trying to live my new principles. When I quit my job, it was too much for my wife, and eventually we separated. What happened on that Camino? I asked. Well, I could finally speak my truth and no one thought I was crazy, he said. I saw how sharing my beliefs helped people gain a different perspective on their problems. 
I felt so happy doing it too and realized I wanted to dedicate my life to that purpose. My art would also become a way for me to express these truths and this wisdom that was emerging within me. You know, on a night that I will never forget, I fervently asked the universe to help me fulfill that wish. At that moment, I saw a shooting star and knew that my prayer had been heard. It was the first time that Alberto and I had spoken so openly about our lives, and I felt a closeness to him that I hadn't felt since we met. There's one more thing, Alberto added, but I don't know how you're going to react. Intrigued, I asked him to go on. Well, that same night, I promised to be an angel, doing only good in the world. I could think of nothing more wonderful than traveling from place to place, guided by life and helping people along the way, like Michael Landon and Highway to Heaven. I never would have imagined having that wish fulfilled in this way with you, but I'm so glad that it has. I wasn't sure what was greater in that moment, my surprise at his confession or my horror that he could possibly be the angel that that tarot reader saw. I could understand, even accept, his earlier assertion that we were instruments of God being brought into people's paths to help them, but the idea of being an angel just seemed too much, and I thought it pretentious that Alberto considered himself one.